Hi guys, Kev here. Just like to say a big thank you for subscribing and listening to the podcasts. If you're new here, welcome to the pod. Now back to the story. And once again, thanks very much. On a Secret Trail by Enid Blyton Read by Jan Francis Chapter 1 George is rather difficult Mother! Mother, where are you? shouted George, rushing into the house Mother! Quick! There was no answer George's mother was out in the garden at the back of Kirin Cottage picking flowers George yelled again this time at the top of her very strong voice. Mother! Mother! Where are you? It's urgent! A door was flung open nearby, and George's father stood there, glaring at her. George, what's this row about? Here am I, in the middle of some very difficult... Oh, father! Timmy's hurt, said George. He went... Her father looked down at Timmy, standing meekly behind George. He gave a little snort. Hurt? He seems all right to me. I suppose he's got a thorn in his paw again, and you think it's the end of the world or something, and come yelling in here and... Timmy is hurt, said George, with tears in her voice. Look! But her father had gone back into his study again, and the door slammed. George glared at it looking exactly like her hot-tempered father. You're unkind, she shouted, and... Oh, there's Mother. Mother! Dear me, George, whatever is the matter, said her mother, putting down the flowers. I heard your father shouting, and then you. Mother, Timmy's hurt, said George. Look! She knelt down by the dog and gently pulled forward one ear. Behind it was a big cut. Timmy whined. Tears came into George's eyes, and she looked up at her mother. Now don't be silly, George, said Mrs. Kirin. It's only a cut. How did he do it? He tried to jump over a ditch, and he didn't see some old barbed wire there, said George. And a rusty piece caught his ear and ripped that awful cut. I can't stop it bleeding. Her mother looked at it. It certainly was quite deep. Take him to the vet, George, she said. Perhaps it ought to be stitched. It does look rather deep. Poor old Timmy boy. Well, it's a good thing it wasn't his eye, George. I'll take him to the vet at once, said George, getting up. Will he be in, Mother? Oh, yes. It's his surgery hour, said her mother. Take him along now. So Timmy was hurried along the country lanes to the pretty little house where the vet lived. George, very anxious indeed, was most relieved to see that the vet seemed quite unconcerned. A couple of stitches and that cut will heal well, he said. Hold him, will you, while I do the job. He'll hardly feel it. There, old boy. Stand still. That's right. In five minutes' time... George was thanking the vet wholeheartedly. Thank you. I was worried. Will you be all right now? Good gracious, yes. 
But you mustn't let him scratch that wound, said the vet, washing his hands. If he does, it may go wrong. Oh, but how can I stop him? asked George anxiously. Look, he's trying to scratch it now. Well, you must make him a big cardboard collar, said the vet. One that sticks out right round his neck, so that his paw can't get near that cut, however much he tries to reach it. But, but Timmy won't like that a bit, said George. Dogs look silly wearing cardboard collars, like great ruffs round their necks. I've seen them. He'll hate one. Well, it's the only way of stopping him from scratching that wound, said the vet. Get along now, George. I've more patients waiting. George went home with Timmy. He padded along quietly, pleased at the fuss that George was making of him. When he was nearly home, he suddenly sat down and put up his hind leg to scratch his bad ear. No, Timmy, no! cried George in alarm. You must not scratch. You'll get the plaster off in no time and break the stitches. No, Timmy! Timmy looked up in surprise. Very well. If scratching was suddenly upsetting George, he would wait till he was alone. But George could read Timmy's thoughts as easily as he could read hers. She frowned. Blow. I'll have to make him that cardboard collar. Perhaps Mother will help me. Her mother was quite willing to help. George was not good at things of that sort, and she watched her mother cutting out a big cardboard collar, fitting it round the surprised Timmy's head, and then lacing the edges together with thread so that he could not get it off. Timmy was most surprised, but he stood very patiently. As soon as the collar was finished and safely round his neck, he walked away. Then he raised his hind leg to scratch at his smarting ear, but, of course, he couldn't get it over the collar and merely scratched the cardboard. Never mind, Timmy, said George. It will only be for a few days. The study door nearby opened and her father came out. He saw Timmy in his collar and stopped in surprise. Then he roared with laughter. <laughs> hey, Timmy, you look like Queen Elizabeth I in a fine big ruff, he said. Don't laugh at him, father, said George. You know that dogs can't bear being laughed at. Timmy certainly looked offended. He turned his back on George's father and stalked off to the kitchen. A little squeal of laughter came from there, and then a loud guffaw from someone at the kitchen door, the milkman. Oh, Timmy, whatever have you got that collar on for, said the cook's voice. <laughs> you do look peculiar. George was angry. She remained angry all that day and made everyone most uncomfortable. How mean of people to jeer at poor Timmy. Didn't they realise how terribly uncomfortable a collar like that was? And Timmy had to wear it night and day. He couldn't even lie down comfortably. George mooned about, looking so angry and miserable that her mother felt worried. George, dear, don't be silly about this. You will make your father cross. Timmy will have to wear that collar for at least a week, you know, and he does look a bit comical when you first see him. He's getting used to it. He soon won't notice it. Everybody laughs at him, 
said George in an angry voice. He went into the garden, and a lot of kids hung over the wall and laughed like anything. And the postman told me it was cruel. And Father thinks it's funny, and... Oh, dear George, don't get into one of your moods, said her mother. Remember Anne is coming soon. She won't enjoy things much if you behave like this. George bore it for one day more. Then, after two upsets with her father over Timmy, another with a couple of boys who laughed at him, and one with the paper boy, she decided she wouldn't stay at Kirin Cottage for one day longer. We'll take my little tent and go off by ourselves somewhere, she told Timmy. Some place where nobody can see you till your ear is better and that hateful collar is off. Don't you think that's a good idea, Timmy? Woof, said Timmy. He thought that any of George's ideas were good, though the collar puzzled him very much. You know the dogs laugh at you too, Timmy, said George earnestly. Did you see how that silly little poodle belonging to Mrs. James up the lane stood and stared at you? He looked exactly as if he was laughing. I won't have you laughed at. I know you hate it. Timmy certainly didn't like it, but he really was not as upset about the collar as George seemed to be. He followed her as she went up to her bedroom and watched her as she began to put a few things into a small bag. We'll go to that lonely little spot on the common, she said to him. We'll pitch our tent near a little stream, and we'll jolly well stay there till your ear's better. We'll go tonight. I'll take my bike and strap everything onto the back. So, in the middle of the night, when Kirin Cottage was dark and quiet, George stole downstairs with Timmy. She left a note on the dining room table and then went to get her bicycle. She strapped her little tent on it and the bag containing food and other odds and ends. Come on, she whispered to the surprised Timmy. We'll go. I'll ride slowly and you can run beside me. Don't bark, for goodness sake. They disappeared into the darkness, Timmy running like a black shadow beside the bicycle. Nobody guessed they were gone. Kirin Cottage was quiet and undisturbed, except for the creaking of the kitchen door, which George had forgotten to shut. But in the morning, what a disturbance! Joanna, the cook, found George's note first, and wondered what a letter in George's writing was doing on the dining room table. She ran straight up to George's room and looked inside. The bed was empty. There was no George, and Timmy's basket was empty. Joanna went to take the note to Mrs. Kirin. Oh, dear, how silly George is, she said when she had read it. Look, Quentin, such a fuss about Timmy. Now George has gone off with him. Goodness knows where. Her husband took the note and read it out loud. Dear Mother, I'm going off for a few days with Timmy till his ear is better. I've taken my tent and a few things. Don't worry, please. Tell Anne, if she wants to join me, to come to the end of Carter's Lane on the Common, and I will show her where I'm camping. Tell her to come at twelve. Love from George. Well, I'm blessed, said George's father. All right. Let her stay away if she wants to. I'm tired of her sulky face and Timmy's hangdog looks. 
Tell Anne to join George, and maybe I shall have peace for a few days. George should be all right, said his wife. She's quite sensible, really, and she's got Timmy. I'll tell Anne to join her when she arrives this morning. When Anne arrived at Kirin Station and looked out for George and Timmy, they weren't there. Only her aunt was there, smiling as usual. What's happened? said Anne. Where's George and Timmy? Oh, George has gone off by herself, said her aunt Fanny. Come along, and I'll tell you. Chapter Two. Anne joins the little camp. Aunt Fanny soon told Anne about Timmy's ear and the big collar of cardboard that had caused all the trouble. Anne couldn't help smiling. Oh, Aunt Fanny, George is quite crazy about old Tim, isn't she? I'll go and meet her at twelve, and of course I'll camp with her for a day or two. It's lovely weather, and I'd like to. I expect Uncle Quentin will be glad to have us out of the house. How are Julian and Dick? Asked her aunt. She was very fond of Anne's two brothers, George's cousins. Will they be coming down here at all these holidays? I don't know," said Anne. "They're still in France, you know, on a schoolboy's tour. <laughs> I feel funny without them. George will be cross to hear they probably won't be coming to Kirin. She'll just have to put up with me." At twelve o'clock, Anne was standing patiently at the end of Carter's Lane. It ran to the common, and then ended in a small winding path that led to nowhere in particular. Big gorse bushes grew here and there, and slender birch trees. Anne, her belongings strapped to her back and a bag in her hand, looked over the common to see if she could spy George coming. There was no sign of her. Blow," said Anne. "I suppose she's changed her mind or something. Perhaps her watch has stopped and she doesn't know the time. She ought to, though, by looking at the sun." How long shall I wait? She sat down by a big gorse bush out of the hot sun. She hadn't been there for more than a minute when she heard a hissing sound. Psst. Anne sat up at once. The sound came from the other side of the bush, and she got up and walked round it. Half hidden under a prickly branch were George and Timmy. Hello," said Anne, surprised. Didn't you see me when I arrived? <laughs> Hello, Tim, darling. How's your poor old ear? Oh, doesn't he look a quaint old dear in that collar, George? George scrambled out of the bush. I hid here, just in case father or mother should come with you and try to make me come back. She said, "I wanted to make quite sure they weren't waiting somewhere a little way away." I'm glad you've come, Anne. Of course I've come. Said Anne, "I wouldn't stay alone at Kirin Cottage while you were camping out. Besides, I understand how you feel about Timmy. The collar's a jolly good idea, of course, but it does make him look comical. I think he looks rather a dear in it. I do really." George was almost relieved that Anne had not laughed at Timmy as most people had. She smiled at her cousin, and Timmy licked her till Anne really had to push him away. Let's go," said George, scrambling up. "I've got a lovely camping place, Anne, 
You'll like it. It's near a little spring too, so there's plenty of water for Timmy to drink and us too. Did you bring any more food? I didn't really bring much. <laughs> yes, I brought heaps," said Anne. Aunt Fanny made me. She's not cross with you, George. I didn't see your father. He was shut up in his study. George's spirits suddenly rose. She gave Anne a friendly punch. <laughs> This is going to be fun. Timmy's ear will soon be better, and he loves camping out as much as we do. I've really found a good place, about the loneliest on the common. Nobody near us for miles. They set off together, Timmy at their heels, darting off every now and again when he smelt rabbit. When are Julian and Dick coming down? Asked George. In a few days, Timmy's ear will be all right by then, and we can go back to Kirin Cottage to welcome the boys and have some fun there. They may not be coming down at all. These holes," said Anne, and George's face fell at once. She stopped and stared at Anne in dismay. Not coming, but they always come in the holes, or we go away somewhere together," she said. They must come. I shall be miserable without you and Dick. Well, they're still in France on a tour or something," said Anne. "We shall hear if they're staying on there or coming down to Kirin when we get back to the cottage. <laughs> Don't look so woebegone, George." But George felt woebegone. The holidays stretched before her, suddenly seeming long and dreary. Her two boy cousins were always such fun, and they had had such wonderful adventures together. And now, now they weren't coming. They shan't have any adventures at all if the boys don't come," she said in a small voice. "I shan't mind that," said Anne. "I'm the peaceful one, not always on the lookout for something to happen like you and the boys. Perhaps these holidays." Will be quite unexciting without even the smell of an adventure. <laughs> George, cheer up! Don't look so mournful. You'd better send a letter to Julian and Dick if you feel so badly about it. I've a good mind to," said George. "I can't imagine holes without the boys. Why? We shan't be the five, the famous five, if they don't come." "Woof," said Timmy. Quite agreeing, he sat down and tried to scratch his ear, but the big collar prevented him. He didn't seem to mind and ran off after a rabbit quite happily. I think you are more upset about that collar than Timmy," said Anne as they walked along. "Are we getting near this place of yours, George? It's a jolly long way. We go up this hill in front of us and then drop down to a little copse," said George. There's a funny old cottage nearby, quite ruined and empty. At first, I thought perhaps people lived there, but when I went nearer, I saw that it was ruined. There's a big old rose rambler climbing all over it, even inside. I suppose the people who used to live there planted it. They walked up the little hill and down again, following curving rabbit paths. Better look out for adders," said Anne. This is just the kind of place for them. My word, it's hot, George. Is there any way to bathe near here? A pool or anything? I don't know. We could explore and see," said George. "I did bring my swimsuit just in case. Look, 
You can see part of the old cottage now. My camp is fairly near there. I thought I'd better camp near the spring. They were soon at George's rough little camp. Her tent was up, and she had made a bed inside of the springy heather. A mug, a bag of dog biscuits, a few tins, and a loaf of bread were at one end of the tent. It didn't seem to Anne as if George had brought very much, and she felt glad that she had managed to pack such a lot of things. Aunt Fanny cut dozens and dozens of sandwiches, said Anne. She said if we kept them in this tin, they wouldn't go stale, and would last us a day or two till we went back. I'm hungry. Shall we have some now? They sat out in the sun, munching the ham sandwiches. Anne had brought tomatoes too, and they took a bite at a sandwich, and then a bite at a tomato. Timmy had to make do with a handful of dog biscuits and half a sandwich every now and again. After a bit, he got up and wandered off. Where's he going? Asked Anne. To look for a rabbit? No, probably to get a drink. Said George. The spring is in the direction he's gone. I'm thirsty too. Let's take the mug and get a drink ourselves. They went off with the mug, Anne following George through the thick heather. The little spring was a lovely one. It had evidently been used by the people who had once lived in the old cottage, and was built round with big white stones, so that the spring ran through a little stony channel, as clear as crystal. Oh, it's as cold as ice," said Anne. "Simply delicious. I could drink gallons of this." They lay on the heather out in the sun, talking when they came back from the spring. Timmy wandered off by himself again. "It's so peaceful here," said Anne. "Nobody near us for miles. Just the birds and the rabbits. This is what I like." There's hardly a sound," said George, yawning. And then, just as she said that, there came a noise in the distance—a sharp sound, like metal on stone. It came again and again, and then stopped. "What's that? Do you suppose?" said George, sitting up. "I can't imagine," said Anne. "Anyway, it's a long way away. Everything is so still that sounds carry from quite a distance." The sharp noises began again in a little while, and then stopped. The girls shut their eyes and slept. There wasn't a sound now, except the pop, pop, pop of gorse pods exploding in the sun and sending out their little black seeds. George woke up when Timmy came back. He sat down heavily on her feet, and she woke up with a jump. Timmy, don't," she said. Get off my feet! You make me jump. Timmy obligingly removed himself, and then picked up something he had dropped, lay down, and began gnawing it. George looked to see what it was. Timmy, that's a bone. Where did you get it? She said. Anne, did you bring a bone for Tim? What? What did you say? Said Anne, half asleep. A bone? No. I didn't. Why? Because Timmy's found one," said George, "and it's a bone that has had cooked meat on it, so it's not a rabbit or anything Timmy's caught. Timmy, where did you get it?" "Woof," said Timmy, 
offering the bone to George, thinking that she too might like a gnaw, as she seemed so interested in it. Do you suppose anyone else is camping near us? asked Anne, sitting up and yawning. After all, bones don't grow in the heather. That's quite a good meaty one too. Timmy, have you stolen it from another dog? Timmy thumped his tail on the ground and went on with his bone. He looked pleased with himself. It's rather an old bone, said George. It's smelly. Go away, Tim. Take it further off. The sharp metallic noises suddenly began again, and George frowned. I believe there is someone camping near us, Anne. Come on, let's do a bit of exploring and find out. I vote we move our camp if there are other people near. Come on, Timmy. That's right. Bury that horrible bone. This way, Anne. Chapter Three: The Old Cottage and a Surprise. The two girls, with Timmy at their heels, left their camping place and set off in the hot sun. Anne caught sight of the ruined cottage and stopped. Let's have a look at it, she said. It must be awfully old, George. They went in at the wide doorway. There was no door left, only the stone archway. Inside was a big room whose floor had once been paved with slabs of white stone. Now grass and other weeds had grown between the cracks, and had actually lifted up some of the slabs so that the whole floor was uneven. Here and there, parts of the walls had fallen away, and the daylight came through. One window was still more or less intact, but the others had fallen out. A small crooked stairway of stone led upwards in one corner. To rooms above, I suppose," said Anne. "Oh, here's another doorway leading into a second room, a small one. It's got an old sink in it. Look, a and this must be the remains of a pump." It's not much to see, really," said George, looking round. "The top rooms must be quite ruined because half the roof is off. Hello, here's another door, a back door. It's actually a door too, not just a doorway." She gave a push at the stout wood, and the old door promptly fell off its hinges and crashed outwards into an overgrown yard. "Goodness," said George, startled. I didn't know it was quite so rotten. It made poor Tim jump almost out of his skin. There are outhouses here, all the remains of them," said Anne, exploring the backyard. They must have kept pigs and hens and ducks. Here's a dried-up pond. Look. Everything was falling to pieces. The best preserved corner of the old place was what must have been a small stable. Rusted mangers were still there, and the floor was of stone. An old, old piece of harness hung on a big nail. It's got quite a nice feel about it, this old place," said Anne. Sometimes, I don't like the feel of places; they give me an uneasy feeling—a feeling that horrid things may have happened there. But this is quite different. I think people have been happy here and led peaceful lives. I can almost hear hens clucking and ducks quacking and pigs. Gr 
George, and the two girls looked extremely startled to hear the sudden loud noise of quacking and clucking. They stood and listened. What was it? said Anne. It sounded like hens and ducks, though I'm not quite sure. But there aren't any here, surely. We shall hear a horse whinnying next. They didn't hear a whinny, but they heard the snorting of a horse at once. <laughs> End of side one. The famous five. Hi guys, Kev here. If you'd like to advertise on my show, please contact me by email, and that is the nonstopaudiopodshow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. <laughs>